This episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast is sponsored by Sidekick by HubSpot. It is a really cool tool that gives you live notifications when somebody opens and clicks on your email. Uh, it works with Gmail, Apple Mail, Outlook. It's really a great way to know if somebody has open is engaging certainly that they've received it it's a great way to also know maybe it's time to check back in with them uh, it is really a great tool i use it every day if you want to get it and get a free month go to getsidekick.com slash duct tape and you'll get your first month of sidekick for free Hello and welcome to another episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is John Jantz. My guest today is Brian Dean. He is a internationally recognized, we can say that, because um, we're talking today from, uh, he, he's all the way calling in from Berlin. So internationally recognized entrepreneur and SEO expert and the founder of an awesome site. If you're not checking out Backlinko, you are missing a, a, a ver veritable goldmine of practical tips. So Brian, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me, John. And I know that uh, you hear this all the time, and, I, and actually it's one of the things that I try to do with the duct tape marketing brand is uh, you know, my, my idea behind that metaphor was, was to be simple, effective, affordable, very practical. So a lot of the things that I have written about over the years, um, you know, people tell me are very actionable, and I think that that's one of the things I love about your writing is it, uh, it literally tells people how to do something that will benefit them. Well, thanks, John. I appreciate that. I actually read Duct Tape Marketing back in 2008. And I think that's one of that plan to see like, okay, you know, there's, the, there's a place for the overarching strategy, but people love little practical tips. Yeah. And I think I remember you had something in the book about like the lumpy envelope. Oh, yeah. And people are more likely to open that. And that stuck with me. You know, I probably read, the, I think it was 2008, so seven years ago now, yeah. read the book, and that stuck with me. So I think those little practical tips, they're obviously helpful for people, but they also have stick in people's minds a little bit better. So you have been doing uh, SEO pretty hardcore, and correct me if I'm wrong, you know, five or six years, is that about right? Yep, yeah. exactly. So um, that's a field that, uh, quite frankly, everything online is, is evolving rapidly, but uh, you, what do you think in that five or six year window has changed the most about search engine optimization? I think what's changed is that the how you acquire links is totally different. Yeah. So uh, right when Google came out, there, what what made Google different was the fact that they used links to determine what the best sites and pages were online. And today, that's actually still exactly the same. The difference is you can't game the system anymore. You used to be able to make it look like you were a site that was getting all these links and people loved you, and you could basically manipulate the algorithm. And in 2012, that changed with Google's Penguin update, which pretty much wiped out not every Black Hat strategy, but most Black Hat strategies that looked at trying to manipulate these links. Now, in order to rank, you need the links, but you need to get them legitimately. Yeah, and it's interesting. I mean, I've, I've been doing this for a little longer than five or six years. And some of the things that have now gone by the wayside, you know, in early 2000, 2002, 2003, you know, article directories, for example, I mean, that was huge. Uh, we didn't uh, have much else. I mean, there were no blogs. Um, and so, you know, we got backlinks by submitting articles to directories, which were, you know, essentially, and some of them were paid, uh, some of them were free, uh, but essentially it was like, you know, buying links, so they were kind of link farms, and, and those are no more. Exactly, yeah. 
So let's talk about what works in general then for backlink. Well, well, let me ask you before uh, I know the answer to this, but I want to get it on <laughs> on the record. Um, you know, okay. are, are backlinks still an important factor? Definitely, they're still by far and away the number one ranking factor that Google uses because they don't want to use them. So they, you know, they've worked well for them. Obviously, taking Google from a couple guys to this huge company, but at the same time. The, it's harder to manipulate, but people are still doing it. And it, Google's kind of sick of this cat and mouse game. So what they're doing is they're trying to diversify and look at other signals mm -hmm. that um, could determine the quality of a site, like, for example, social signals. For If you have a web page and people share on Facebook and Twitter, in theory, that's a great sign that Google could use and say, hey, this is a good page. We should bump it up in the rankings. But they've run into a lot of problems with all the other signals because not only are they just as easy to game, if not easier than links, they're not always indicative of a really quality page. So, for example, if you run a health site and you have a piece of content about hemorrhoids, you're not going to get a lot of Facebook likes in that piece of content. But it might be great, right? Yeah. Um, and you might get some links to it from other really respected health sites. So social signals have their own set of problems and they're having a little trouble diversifying. Plus. In general, I don't know about you, John, but when I search in Google, I usually get what I want. The results are great. Yeah. They're not really in a rush to overhaul everything. So links are definitely here to stay. So um, if somebody comes to you and says, okay, you know, I've, I've read some stuff about backlinks, you know, give me, give me the five or six things that I need to be focused on today you know, in, in an effort to draw backlinks. So the first thing I would do is the first couple would be to focus on creating a resource on your site that's really worth linking to. So if you have that, you're already doing great because um, if you don't have really something great in your site worth linking to, for example, if you're a local business like a pizza shop, I mean, you can get some links by reaching out to maybe food blogs in your area and there's some creative strategies like that, but nothing beats a great resource on your site that's gonna to appeal to a lot of other people. So that's what I would focus on is looking for content that's done really well already around your space and then creating something that's similar but significantly better. And then once you have that, find places that link to other resources that are on your topic and ask those people, hey, you link to this, I have something very similar, you might wanna to link to me. There's so, a lot of nuances in there, but that's basically how it goes. Yeah, so, Sorry, no, I was just going to say, I mean, I know people, uh, I, I think that's an absolute great strategy. How do you find those uh, people that link to it? Uh, you know, what tools do you use to find content people are sharing that you can actually make better? Well, to find the content itself to improve, I like to use Google. It's great, right? So if you search for some keywords in Google, the results are typically content that's done well and attracted links. So you don't have to go very far. So when you search for keywords, one tip I would give people that's really practical is not, don't always just search for something super specific in your industry. This is a mistake I see a lot of people make. So for example, if you run a law firm, you don't wanna put like DOI lawyer into Google, right? That's not gonna bring up any content. It's gonna be all services pages for people that are looking for lawyers. So you really wanna look for content that might be appealing to a larger group, especially the blogging community. So. Something like, why are lawyers so expensive? That's a piece of content I saw recently in the legal space that was pretty creative. Um, you know, how to, if you're a lawyer, how to get your first client. There's a lot of law graduates that are looking for this sort of advice. So you've got to be a little bit creative in some industries. and in some, it's much more straightforward. Like if you look up blogging tips, for example, that's going to be 100% pure content that you can take and improve. Mm -hmm. And then in terms of finding the people to reach out to, I use a tool called ahrefs.com. What you do is you just pop the content that you found 
into Ahrefs and I'll show you everyone who is linking to that content. I've been using and, and, and you know, listeners of my show, this is going to be no surprise. I, I love BuzzSumo um, as a tool and, and because it, it's you can put in one of those search terms and it'll show you the most shared content that is 99% uh, blog post. So all those lists posts and things, you know, pop in there, but then there is a quick uh, uh, link there or button there where you can actually press on it and it will show you who is linked to that, who has shared that. So, um, definitely great, also great a big tool. fan. Yeah. Yeah. Big fan. So, um, obviously we could talk about, we could talk about the whole show about links. I want to give people a little more flavor of some of the other things that you talk about that I think, uh, are really important. Um, does on page optimization matter so much anymore? It does, but not quite as much as it used to. And the reason for that is basically um, there's just more competition for Google's top 10. You know, back in 2002, when we were talking about back in the Easy and Articles days, you know, it was easier to rank partially because you could get links from article directories. But on the other hand, it was also significantly less competitive. So if you had a page that was really optimized super well, um, even if you didn't have that many links pointing to it, you could rank a lot of times based on your on-page optimization alone. But today, for every result, pretty much there's thousands of pages vying for those top 10 slots. So for you to rank, you really need the on-page plus the off-page stuff, which is the links. And on, not to say on-page SEO isn't important, but I look at it as on-page SEO is your ticket to entry and links is how you win the race. So... Another thing that uh, that we're still grappling with today, at least I am with with you know business owners who want to have their site rank highly, but they're not really that interested in producing a lot of content consistently. <laughs> can you can you really uh, outrank competitors without content today? You really can't uh, outrank them without some content. But the good news is you don't need a lot of content to do it. So to give you a good example is my own site backlinko.com. I only have thirty one total blog posts published on the site. And it brings in 100,000 unique visitors a month. So you don't need a lot of content. It's a total quality versus quantity game. And if you use the strategy that I just outlined, basically find this content on Google and also BuzzSumo is awesome for that, and then creating something better and doing outreach, it t- you'll find yourself with not a lot of time on your hands to create content because you'll be so focused on this one piece. But uh, in my experience, that quality, one piece of quality content outperforms 50 you know, Me Too blog posts any day of the week. So how long does it take you to produce one piece? It takes me 20 hours. Yeah. I think for a lot of people, the, the, the days of the 500-word uh, sit down and write, bang it out uh, 30 minutes, 40 minutes are probably not as valuable, uh, for, particularly to, to, to do um, what you're doing, you know, which is ranking not just for the terms you want to rank for, you're ranking for you know, probably some of the most competitive terms in the industry you know, beyond maybe – DUI attorney or something. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so. yeah it's, uh, it depends on what you want. I mean, some people, just from a strictly SEO point of view, I've definitely found the longer, huge guides, really in-depth stuff, tends to work a lot better. You don't have to publish a lot. And you can't publish a lot when you put yeah. that much effort into a post. But if you have you know, a blog following that expects a blog post every day, that's a different story where you might want to be publishing more often just to kind of give stuff for your audience um, yeah. as opposed to just a purely, strictly SEO perspective. Um, a, a, a topic that I think it's comes up all the time, you know, seems like it never goes away. Seems like there's countless people talk about it, and and I think you've written some things on this topic that are some of the most useful. And that's a, this idea of 
you know, how do I figure out what content I should be writing about? What, you know, keyword research was, you know, we, we did, we've done forever uh, with SEO, but I think it's become even more important as you're trying to determine what content you produce on an ongoing basis. What's some of your advice or, or tactics really for finding good keywords? Yeah, I agree. Keyword research is still crazy important, even though Google is a little bit more sophisticated with keyword research. So with their keywords, I should say, um, you know, if you typed in back in 2002 or even a couple of years ago, if you typed in weight loss tips and tips for weight loss, it would give you two totally different sets of results because to them, they're different, you know, keywords. But in reality, someone typing in either of those keywords are really searching for the same thing. And Google has gotten great at just showing them the same result, kind of figuring out what they call the user intent. What's the intent behind that keyword? So um, that being said, there, if you find two keywords that are super similar like that, I would just pick the one with the higher search volume and go with that one because Google is going to serve up the same result. In terms of really practical tip, I have a really good one, one of my favorites. I don't talk about it very often. I never publish it on the blog because I don't want too many people using it because it's so good. So um, the, you know, if you're going to search for keywords, you're going to definitely end up at some point at the Google Keyword Planner which is built into AdWords, because that's going to tell you the search volume for different keywords. It's going to give you suggestions. It's going to provide uh, the cost per click that they recommend for people, and it gives you a great idea of how likely someone searching for that keyword is going to buy what you sell. The problem is a lot of people just open it, type in a keyword, and kind of hope that Google gives them a good keyword. Sometimes they will, but a lot of times they won't. And just the way their algorithm works for the Google Keyword Planner, some keywords just won't show up. I mean, I've typed in keywords trying to find certain ones, and for some reason, they just won't show them to people. So I've kind of found a way to wrangle these great keywords out of Google, and I call it the Google Keyword Planner hack. So basically what you do is instead of typing in a keyword into the Google Keyword Planner, Underneath the field where you enter your keywords is something called your landing page. Mm-hmm. And the idea behind that is to put in your landing page, it kind of scans the page, finds keywords, and gives suggestions based on that. But the trick is you don't have to put your landing page into that field. You can put any page into that field. So you could put, for example, a conference that's coming up. So if you have a conference coming up in your field, grab the conference agenda, put it in there, it'll scan the page. And a lot of times it'll find great keywords that you'd never find by just typing in keywords in there. Um, you can also put search results. This is one of my favorites. So if you search in Pinterest for your keyword, grab the URL of the search results, put it into the, your landing page field, it'll show you a bunch of different keywords. And even, it's just a great way to get out of like typing keywords into the Google Keyword Planner. You'll find keywords that a lot of times your competition won't see and they'll be a lot less competitive. All right, you heard it here not shared anywhere before. <laughs> um, you have written about something that, uh, that you um, are calling guestographics as, as really a great way. Um, and, and it really, this whole idea of guest posting, you know, both on other people's sites, on your own site, you know, really important uh, uh, topic. Uh, but uh, tell me a little bit about uh, how you've actually used the, the kind of the combination of the guest post and infographic. Yeah, sure. Well, I eventually I actually discovered the guestographic method, or developed it, I should say, when I had a client in the finance space. He was in this really tough industry, not a lot of blogs, and he was pushing me to create an infographic for him. And at the time, I just wasn't that into creating infographics. I didn't have a lot of experience. I saw it as sort of this here today, gone tomorrow marketing tactic that we've all seen come and go. So it wasn't that enthusiastic, but he pushed me, so I created an infographic. And as soon as I created it, I realized I only had about maybe 25 sites in the world that might be interested in this infographic because it was just a space that doesn't have a lot of blogging. 
So I was thinking from the blogger's point of view, what would make them more likely to share this infographic on their blog, where they would take it, embed it on their site. And I realized the one thing they kind of have to do that's a bit of a pain is they have to write a unique introduction to go along with the infographic. They can't just copy and paste it and hit publish and call it a day. They need to add some context that's unique to their audience. So when I reach out to people, instead of being like, oh, here's the infographic, do you want to check it out? I would say, hey, here's the infographic, do you want to check it out? And if you want, I can also write the unique introduction to go along with it. And I think at the time I called it a mini guest post mm-hmm. to really emphasize how valuable this was. So they get the infographic, they get a mini guest post, um, and all they have to do is copy and paste some HTML into WordPress and they're good to go. And it worked great. It got onto some huge sites in the finance space. We had like a 20% conversion on outreach, which is really good. So I decided to keep going with it and, and refining the process. So um, more recently on Backlinko, I published an on-page SEO guide. And that's an infographic. And to promote it, I also reached out to people and said, hey, I just published this guide. Um, I know you published something about on-page SEO. So I found people that were already publishing content on the topic of on-page SEO. Here's an infographic. You want me to write the unique, unique introduction? Let me know. And just keep in mind, even though Backlinko does is a popular blog today, this is when I first started. I probably had like 100 email subscribers. No one knew who I, who I was. And it still worked because you're giving them basically a great blog post that they don't have to write. You're giving them an infographic, you're giving them a little guest post. Um, it's a win-win, and you get a great link in return. So, and and that post that's on your site today, I, re- I definitely recommend you know people go check that out because uh, it, you know it breaks this down in great detail, tells you exactly. how, In fact, you have a checklist <laughs> that, that people yeah. can download to do this process. So, one of the things that you also are a master at, as far as I'm concerned, is, is lead capture. Um, so when you do drive that traffic uh, and you get those links and they come to your site, um, there are you know countless ways in which they can actually subscribe and get on your your email list. Do you want to talk about maybe a little bit about your point of view about that I you know that idea of lead capture and and maybe also um, I'd be curious to know some of the various tools that you have employed to to do you know the various pop ups and and you know the boxes and things around your site. Yeah, sure. So for me, my email list is my business. So that everything revolves around the email list, the content promotion, uh, sales, market research, when people are replying to my emails, also just getting in touch with people who are, are influential like you, John. You know, it was, uh, I sent a newsletter email about the blog post, you read it and liked it and invited me on the podcast. If you, I'm positive is that if it didn't have your email, I mean, not positive, but it's, unlikely that you would have seen the blog post on Twitter. Right. Right. It got directly into your inbox. I had a great way to get in touch with you and say, hey, I published something new. Just good things come when you have an email list. So everything revolves around that because if someone comes to your site, leaves, they're very unlikely to come back. Um, And if you can get them to follow you on Twitter or like you on Facebook, that's okay. But as we've seen, the reach in those platforms is really not quite um, up to email standards. Well, and one of the things that you do uh, well, I mean, a lot of people get that idea. Okay, I'll have a subscribe box on my site. But, I mean, every single piece of content, every way in which somebody can uh, interact with your content, you are actually offering them the ability to get more or, you know, halfway through one of your videos, a box will pop in there and say, hey, you want to watch the second half of this? Subscribe. So so you, you're you not leaving anything to chance because I think a lot of people um, forget that uh, if you're doing well in, in – 
SEO, people are coming to your site, maybe one blog post uh, is all they're actually going to consume or all they're going to see. So uh, you've really got to uh, you've really got to offer them that opportunity pretty much everywhere. So I'd love to hear kind of some of the, the ways and uh, explain some of the ways in which you do that. Sure. So the number one thing I do is make sure that every offer is, first of all, providing something very specific and also something that is on the topic of what they're reading about. So let's say, for example, that you run a fitness blog, you know, and a lot of people will do this. They'll just have the subscribe box, which is obviously doesn't convert very well because kind of this vague, yeah. just subscribe, and it's kind of hard for the person to say, what's in it for me? Um, if you offer a, a specific thing, like you get exclusive updates that are and tips that I only share with subscribers, that's a little bit better. And then if you offer something really specific, like an ebook or a report or a white paper, that's even better. But the best is something that's directly related to what they're searching for. So if you have this fitness site, you can create an ebook that's, you know, 25 ways to grow your biceps, which if someone is interested in that, that's perfect. But a lot of the other pages on your site will be about weight loss or about nutrition or about low carb eating, about the gluten-free diet. And at that moment anyway, they're not really interested in getting bigger biceps. So that offer is not going to resonate with them quite as much versus if they're reading about the gluten-free diet and you offer them a a list of 10 gluten-free recipes, it's much more targeted and in my experience converts significantly better than that generic site-wide offer. So what what tools do you actually use for or recommend for um – some of the various pop-ups and and you know call to actions in your videos and things. Are you using a variety of tools, or do you have, uh, or are you writing them yourself, or what tools? No, are there are three tools. They're very cheap, and I recommend all of them. So the first that I use that is probably the most helpful is called LeadPages.com. Mm-hmm. So LeadPages, uh, actually, is LeadPages.net. Now that I think about it, yeah, that's right. but it's LeadPages. So it's a great service that basically is for creating landing pages. I don't even use that feature. They have another feature in there that's way better called uh, lead um, links. And basically what it is, is you click on a link and what they call a lead box appears. So this is really important for when you create those really specific offers because you want to put those where people can see it, like in the blog post, Mm -hmm. maybe towards the beginning or in the middle or at the end. And instead of defacing the content with this huge opt-in form, you could just put a link click here to download the resource. And the great thing about the lead box is when someone clicks on that link, a box appears and they can enter their email into that box. So anyone who's not interested in it will never see the box. And in my experience, it converts better than the form. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of research around that because once they take that first step, they're sort of bought in. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I think that's the psychology behind it, right? So there's something to that for sure. Um, The other tool that I use is great called sumome.com. And sumome is a pop-up software. So if you're kind of reluctant about you know, trying a pop-up, I do recommend giving it a shot. It's one of those things I had to psychologically get over it. But once I did, I never looked back. So I definitely recommend Sumo Me because it's free, it's easy to set up, and you can see how it works. If it doesn't work for you, you can always take it down. Yeah. Um, but I think you'd be happy with it. And a great feature within Sumo Me is called the scroll box. This is really nice because if, you ha- if you're really not ready for the pop-up, you can create this thing called a scroll box, which is like this little box that appears from the bottom right-hand corner of the screen and ask for someone's email. And I found that that converts actually pretty well. Not quite as well as a pop-up, but definitely better than nothing. Mm. And it's much less intrusive than a pop-up. Also free with a paid option. Um, the other one that I use for the videos is called Wistia.com. Mm-hmm. Wistia is great if you want professional video hosting on your site. So if you have a video 
and you don't want to host it on YouTube because you don't want people leaving your site, going to YouTube or seeing ads and things like that, Wistia is great. It's not super cheap, but it's not expensive either. And the feature that I use uh, to stop the video and ask people, um, ask people to enter the email to watch the rest is called Turnstile within Wistia. And basically what that is, at any point in the video, you can ask someone to enter their email to watch the rest. It's a little bit aggressive, um, but in my experience, it converts great. And what I like to do to, to sort of make it a fair deal is that I provide a lot of value before I show the turnstile. That way, even if someone doesn't enter the email, they still can walk away with something they can use. Yeah, and I, I think that you, know, you just hit on the key, period. I mean, people will give you anything if they feel the exchange is worth it. So, yeah. you know, so, so it's, it, you know, if they really want the rest of that content, they really want that ebook, they really want that checklist, there's no hesitation at all. Um, in fact, I would suggest that, that, you know, some of the things that you're giving away on your site, you know, there are people selling lesser versions of. So, you know, I think that uh, uh, there's no wonder that your, your list has grown so rapidly. Thanks. So let me finish um, our conversation really on one uh, topic that I'm sure you hear all the time, and hopefully you can give people some uh, some hope. Uh, there are a lot of people that are in either boring industries or really hard to rank uh, industries, and I know that you've you've written rather boldly about you know the ability to rank for anything, any keyword. So if you're in one of those where you're in a really hard industry or you're just in a, what seems like a kind of generic industry, what are some of your tips for, for getting your clients to rank uh, for in, in those situations? Well, you know, definitely there are industries where in some ways it's harder to rank than others. But in my experience, all things considered, every industry is about the same. Because for industries like, for example, marketing, where there are a ton of blogs, right? You have duct tape marketing, you have mm -hmm. a thousand other blogs to get links from. Um, and and you, you may look at that if you're in a legal space or insurance or something like that and say, wow, wouldn't it be great to be in the marketing space? It's so easy to get links. <laughs> the problem with that is that it's easy for everybody in yeah. the niche. Yeah. And it just makes those keywords so insanely competitive. You need so many links to rank because everyone on the front page already has all these links and you're starting from zero. So as I say, the grass is greener on the other side and it's definitely true when it comes to whatever industry you're in. Every industry looks better, trust me. When I wanna rank for a keyword like link building or something like that, I look at these other keywords in boring niches and know that I only need five links to rank. Yeah. I would love to be in a niche where I only need five links as opposed to 500 to rank. So with the rant out of the way, uh, the practical uh, tip I would give people is kind of what I alluded to before, is looking for these closely related industries that aren't really in yours. And I find this happens a lot, is that people say, you know, I run an e-commerce site that sells vacuum cleaners. How can I possibly write something interesting? And of course, if you're gonna write content about vacuum cleaners, it's gonna be really hard to create something interesting. It's possible, you could talk about maybe crazy vacuum cleaners from Japan and try to do some link bait stuff. But I always prefer to provide value as opposed to something like link bait. Mm -hmm. So uh, what you can do is say, okay, I'm in the vacuum cleaner space. What can I create that's um, similar but not directly, but not about vacuum cleaners? I call this a shoulder niche because it's, these are industries on either side of where you're at. And for example, in the vacuum cleaner space, you have things like cleaning, home organizing, um, maybe even air purification and air quality in your house. There's tons of great content you could create around that. And when you create that content and build links to your site from that, it's gonna help you rank for all your pages, including those product and category pages and service pages. So it's great to get links directly to your service page, but um, it's not usually practical because 
who wants to link to a service page or a vacuum cleaner product page, right? But if you create this resource and then internally link from that resource to your product and service pages, you can do great with that. It's a strategy a lot of e-commerce sites use and a lot of my clients use and have had great success with it. Yeah, and I think that's um, uh, it's tough for a lot of marketers, a lot of business owners to wrap their head around that because the the belief is, you no, know, I have to be talking about my stuff or why would anybody buy from me if I'm not talking about my stuff? And I think you're absolutely right. The real gold is in talking about things that maybe are not related to what you sell at all, but they're related to the world or the journey that your prospect or customer you know, may be going on online. And I think that's a, that's a tough switch for people sometimes, but it's, it's definitely where the gold is, I believe. Definitely. So let's end with uh, maybe you, you listed a couple. Um, I'm, I'm a real tool junkie, and so, I'd, I'd, uh, so far you haven't stumped me yet. I've, I've, I, actually, <laughs> I actually use everything you've mentioned so far. But uh, what are a couple of, your, couple of your favorite tools for maybe doing competitive research or, or really just anything that you, you want to throw out there that, uh, that maybe would be useful? So of the ones I mentioned, uh, like you, John, I'm a big BuzzSumo fan, happy customer. Uh, it's a great tool, and, and I haven't really – I've seen some people try to – imitate it but nothing I've seen has been close in terms of just typing in a keyword yeah. getting a bunch of pieces of content that are already done well it's perfect it's like built for this approach uh, it is actually built for this approach so. um, lead pages that lead box feature and lead links feature is awesome for for collecting emails sumo me is great for pop-ups um, and kind of a little bit more in your face ways to get emails um, that are great a tool I didn't mention that I use all the time is called SEMrush I'm sure I won't stump you with that one either, <laughs> but it's a great tool. Uh, I yep, use it all the it time. Yep. Uh, you know, if I want to find out if, another great way to, to creatively look for keywords besides the the Google Keyword Planner hack that we talked about, is you take a, a competitor's domain name, put it into SEMrush, and you can see all the keywords that they already rank for. These are keywords that sometimes you'd never think of and would never come up with any using any other strategy. So SEMrush is just the great uh, a great tool. Um, Ahrefs one I mentioned. I'm also a tools junkie, but I've been trying to cut down on tools. I felt like I got a little tool crazy. Um, a couple that I used recently that I liked, one is called contentmarketer.io hmm. by Sujan Patel. It's, a, it's basically built for outreach. So you take a list of names and websites, pop it into the tool, and it automatically finds their emails. It's not perfect at this, but it's actually better than any other tool I've used. Because when you're going to reach out to these people, you ultimately need their email address. And if you want to, you can reach out to them within the tool and keep track of your communication that way. I think it's pretty cool if people want to do kind of hardcore outreach. I'm a big fan of just using Gmail. Yeah. But in terms of finding the emails, contentmarker.io is really good. Awesome. Well, Brian, thanks so much for joining me. I think it's getting late there in uh, in Germany, so I appreciate you uh, uh, staying up for uh, for us. And uh, you know, hopefully... Uh, Hopefully, I'll either get over to Berlin or, or we'll run into you uh, somewhere in the U.S. Sounds good, John. Mm -hmm.